Hey, and welcome to another edition of the Wake Up Late with Dougie Show. I'm your host, Dougie Almeida, coming to you from Simpsonville, South Carolina, where I'm blending in. That's right. Uh, we got a great show today. Normally on the show, we've got comedians, you know, funny people like that, and, you know, actors and all this shit. But today, we have a rock star, everybody. That's right. And I'm a member now of the Chainsaw Mafia. Real excited to bring our guest on. This guy, I've, I've remember this band, dude. I've always been a rock and roll guy. And uh, boy, I'm excited to have this show because there's a lot of questions, a lot of shit we're going to get into. And I'm real excited. Without further ado, from the band Jackal, co-founder of the band Jackal and guitarist, Jeff Worley. And if you never heard Jackal, here's a recent video for them. Check it out. There you go, man. Rock and music there. Jeff Worley, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Now, Good grief watching my that, pla- dude. Yeah? Why? <laughs> you don't like seeing yourself that on day. TV? What? No, no. It was that day when, you know, we were in the studio. We, we did that in Atlanta in a soundstage in front of these screens. We didn't have no idea. what We, we kind of had an idea. We like to act stupid. So that yeah. was a good, stupid video for a good, fun song. You know, we don't take ourselves too seriously, but it was 16 hours of playing the song over and over and oh. over. I, I just remember I hurt so bad. I was like, I played 100 gigs and never felt like this, you know, no the next shit. morning. But it turned out great. We were just having fun, dude. But thanks for having me, dude. What's up? Not much, man. We actually met. You came to a show at the Greenville Comedy Zone mm-hmm. uh, where I was opening for Jamie Lissau. And, yep. you know, and, you know, you could spot a rock star from a fucking mile away, by the way. You know, I'm, I'm in the I'm on stage. And I look down. I'm like, look, who the fuck is this guy? You know, he had a hat on his fucking hair. He's tall. How tall are you, dude? You're like six fucking seven. What big fucking boy? Dude, I'm five. I'm right at six foot. My brother's six four. OK, so, yes. Yeah, and we have no idea why, because my grandfather, not my worldly grandfather, but my, my mother's dad, he was like a little five foot we don't know all of a sudden you know you know the chain of uh missing links where all of a sudden stands yeah. up we had that in our yeah. family in a weird way so we're all mutts anyway so well your brother probably no, was like my hanging wife and also shit. was making a lot of noise my wife was making a lot of noise that night oh yeah <laughs> well yeah, she was it, it was up. it was it was funny as shit because at, at the end we're at we're i'm at my merch table and you guys were walking up i'm like hey you know it's uh uh, fucking who's the, the again the drummer from fucking motley crew i said you know uh here, here's uh come on, i'm getting old tommy Jesus, lee. brain fuck. tommy i said there's tommy lee and one of your buddies says you're kind of close <laughs> and, then, and then when you said jagger they're fuck yeah i saw you guys yeah, open man. for uh i saw you guys open for um um damn yankees and you and i that talked a little about working major, with uh ted nugent major tour yep uncle ted yeah. you know ted was instrumental in getting us a record deal at first, he had he had taken us out before we even had a record deal to do what he used to do in Michigan was called every year 
starting like the first weekend of December was called the Whiplash Bash. So you would go out and play all the cities leading up to New Year's Eve in Cobo Hall in Detroit. And he had us do that with him. We met through a funny way and uh, we drove up, no money, there was no money involved. We were in a van, but we come up and we did that. And then we, Ted helped us, he talked to the right people. And then we find ourselves on the damn Yankees tour. So it was, they were playing six nights a week. It was a learning thing. It was great. They were awesome. Yeah. But that was one of the, we got fired from Leonard Skinner before that, but that's another story altogether. We've been fired from Leonard Skinner about two or three times. (laughs) They love us, but we can't play with you, you know. But, I mean, uh, what yeah. would cause that? How, how does a rock band get fired? Rock bands do all kinds of shit. What would, I mean, if you don't want to disclose it, but what would cause? No, no. You know, I, I know. I, it's actually. A, I mean, go ahead. I, I talk about it in my, in my book. We'll talk about it later. But um, th- we were on our way back from just recording our first record. I don't think the record was out yet. And we got, we stopped in in New Orleans to open up for Leonard Skinner. And we're from the South. Our office is in Atlanta, Jesse's house, our singer. I'm in South Carolina now, which you know, we're home. But uh, everybody knew everybody. And we used to play this club back in the day called Charlie Magruder's in Atlanta. And it was the place to be. Played three sets a night and your first set didn't start till midnight. So Hmm. by the time you get to the second set, every strip club, every other club, they done closed down and everybody still wants to party comes there, you know. So it was the place to be. And... um, and then one thing led to another. What was the original question? I'm sorry. There's so much I'm trying to tell you. What was the original question? How would you get fired? How would you get fired from touring, oh, okay. touring with So the they Leonard knew Skinner. us already. So they, Jackal can open up. So we go in and they ask us not to use the chainsaw. That started it. Because you'll scare our crowd, right? And we did it anyway. And it went down great. So no worries. But when we left, they called our management, well, there was no management, they called in and said, well, no, we we're going to play more shows with them. And they said, don't worry about showing back up. But it wasn't the stage uh-huh. thing. It was because our road crew had ate about 24 shrimp cocktails out of their dressing room. <laughs> and they just couldn't have it. It was a bunch of, because our road crew was a bunch of country boys. They walked down through there. We're all broke, right? And they look in there, Skinner's dinner. Hell, that's for us. And they just started devouring everything. So out you go. And then the Who second the time pass we up landed a helicopter. Pocket. Well, we landed a helicopter next to the stage and it blew their dressing room over. That was in Florida. We didn't have no, <laughs> we had chartered a helicopter with a drunk pilot to take us into a show. They were headlining and uh, he took us in right next to the stage in a field. And uh, basically a helicopter landing in a field is like a lawnmower the size of Walmart. Okay. And it's blue, the dressing room, and all over their food again. And then the third time, I forgot what happened the third time. Third time, we just kicked so much ass. I think Jesse took all his clothes off, and people used to frown about that. Oh, yeah. I I remember when I saw you guys, and I watched him wielding that chainsaw around, you know, in that Lumberjack song, which was was cool as shit, you know, making it – Making it sound like a guitar, you know, wah, 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 wah. that's fucking badass. That was all I just kept. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Did, well, the, it, did the song come? Be... Let me tell you how that went. 
Jesse had the chance, Jesse, right before he joined the band, you know, we were out, because I drew the, I came up with the concept and the logo when I was in the ninth grade. Actually, I'm sitting in the room, you see, it used to be a garage. I, I bought the house that I, me and my brother grew up in. This garage is where the band started. You're looking at it. Now it's what All I right. call my music room. And then for them haters, look up there, bang, bam, 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 bam. So, um, <laughs> Anyway, the, the band actually started here. We played for a year or so, and then we met Jesse, and we knew, hey, hey, this is what it is. You just know shit, you know. And yeah. uh, then from there, we just took off and started. We gave ourselves a year to get signed. But now we had the uh, Dirty Little Mind. I don't know what you know about our first record. Dirty Little Mind. We had these songs that when John Calandra, who signed us, he said, there's the ones. I want that. We get to L.A., record those but jesse just had the chainsaw and he came out just to mess around he used to go into clubs and cut the ceiling put the right jackal in the ceiling and then one night we just started hitting the an stupid a blues progression so we had the music and the night we got signed we didn't think nothing about it so we got to la to record the record we got down the songs that become hits and all the record and then john collider who's Jewish and I love him, but he has a really high voice. He goes, what are you gonna do with the chainsaw? And we didn't have no idea, like write some lyrics. And Jesse walked out with a pizza box. It's my recollection. And the door never stopped swinging. It went bang, he walked out two seconds later, he back in, that was the lyrics. We recorded it live every day after we got through. It was like, you can put this on the record. And then just to press our luck, cause we was always troublemakers. We were in Los Angeles in the studio called Rumbo Recorders, which was owned by the Captain and Tennille from the 70s. Wow. It was three <laughs> studios. When we showed up to do our record, we were in one studio. Ted Nugent and the Damn Yankees are doing their second record next door. And the Traveling Wilburys are next to that. Wow. And that's Jeff Lynn, George Harrison. Yeah, I, dude, I could go on for days. This show ain't going to be long enough, but we'll cut through it. <laughs> so we go there and... Uh, Right lyrics to the Jumberjack, but we can't. Jesse said we can't. We said we can't because it's not country enough for us in here. So we sent out for chickens and hay. Now in Los Angeles, <laughs> finding a chicken that ain't frozen, getting ready to be cooked is hard as hell. And plus sauce. hay, right? Right, exactly. So a buddy of ours from Geffen Records, the great Todd Sullivan, he said, my dad lives in Bakersfield. So we sent a truck to his dad's and he got us chickens and hay. And we brought it back to this millions of dollar studio that's made some of the greatest records ever. And we put it out in there and we let the chickens go. Now here's the funny part that only country people will know. We couldn't find 10 or 20 chickens. They found like three roosters and 10 guineas. Do you know what that is? A guinea looks like, like smaller an prehistoric. It so looks like something from prehistoric times, right? So we bring them in the studio just, and they just live there. And they started crapping in the pianos. We forgot all about it. We thought we were going to be dropped before we even got the record close to being done, right? <laughs> but we hit it about four nights, seven nights in a row, and the one you hear on the record was it. And dude, it wasn't our first single. My first single was I Stand Alone. And it kind of made it a trickle. And we didn't think nothing about putting that out as any single. What you would, would be, We would be idiots, right? And then right. all of a sudden a DJ started playing it up in the Northwest. And then all of a sudden it started exploding. And then we were seeing record sales 
of 15,000, 20,000 a month, Portland, Oregon, Alaska, Canada, ever and lumberjacks. I never knew there was that many lumberjacks. And it's the novelty of it took off, which propelled everything else. So you just don't say, it's like winning the lottery. People want to say, well, that was, a, it, you know, a, what are that, what's the word? Novelty, right? Right. But it's like winning the lottery. I, I'm just won $20 million. I'm going to give it back because I just don't like the game, right? Yeah. We just took it yeah. and run with it. But then the, we did the video ended up costing us because we got lawsuits for the video that you'll never see. So that's another story altogether, you know, uh, but that, that never happened. It wasn't supposed to happen, but if it hadn't, we wouldn't be sitting here now talking, right? Yeah. Well, the bad, that, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, anything that's crazy. That's crazy. Like, well, the soccer team in Portland is called the Portland Timbers. So yeah, there's a lot of lumberjacks out there, but you know, the distinction of that, j- j- taking a chainsaw and blending it in with the music and, you know, cause that was the first song that got me with you guys. I'm like, what, you know, and then I played guitar when I was younger and stuff. And then the problem was I played goalkeeper and I was a fighter. So my fingers never got to that dexterity level. I needed to play guitar, but, uh, right. but yeah, man. So I was, I would, I would love to f- that fucking, I'd be like, how do how, you know, somebody says it's not a good chainsaw. Somebody's doing it with guitar. I'm like, no, nah, man, that's a fucking chainsaw, dude. You know, I think I know the difference. Well, let me tell you how it um, works. A440, are you, are you familiar with just standard tuning? Right. Standard tuning on a guitarist, ACDC, uh, Iron Maiden bands, Judas Priest, those guys in those days, A A440 is standard. Now you got the Van Halen would be dropped down for David Lee's voice and you, you got through the eighties, those bands would go down and drop down a half a step, mainly for the vocalist and it's a different little tone, but the old guys, A440, it's easier to stay in tune, whatever. We didn't know it, but if you listen to it live, your our ears couldn't discern that it wasn't great. Well, Jesse would do it. You have to take the muffler off. So he took the muffler off, and and he just the way he does it with the chain break, right? And we're like, damn. <laughs> but when we got in the studio, we found out when you record it, it's way off. So Brendan O'Brien, oh, yeah. the great producer, Brendan. When we recorded our first record on tape, not computers like today, tape. So we put the music down. And then when Jesse did the chainsaw solos, plus he goes into a chair that block, that locks it down. Like, you know, he, the risk levels out the roof. But uh, yeah, but he, Brendan just took his finger on the tape and slowed all down on the tape with his finger. Not like a computer today you can do just by click. Mm. He stuck his finger over there and it pulled the tuning in just so it sounds good enough on record. Wow. That's funny. But we great. played live that like entire you... first record. Wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was, that was a great part. And, you know, you think about songs and how you, how you come up with like a name of a song. Like, for example, one of the names of the song, She Loves My Cock. And I couldn't imagine what would be the inspiration of uh, She Loves My Cock. I mean, well, I can you know what I mean? All right. I can tell you that's a, that's that is a Jesse Dupree 100% creation. And here's where he got the I don't know how he got it from there, but I think if you're familiar with a John Waters movie called Pink Flamingos. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember the Pink title. Flamingos, I just remember the, it has divine in it. Remember the transgender one of the first transgenders divine. Okay, you mm-hmm. go watch this movie and there's a part in there 
where a guy is not having sex with a chicken. When he has sex with his old lady, he likes to put a chicken between them. Okay. As long as I led to that. But I remember seeing now the first time I heard that, I was like, man, it is genius. I can't not, because this just kind of personality we have. We don't take it too seriously. We just rock, you know. I mean, and it's just too, 30 years later, the proof is in the pudding. Some people, you know, ever, we're not everybody's cup of tea. We're very polarizing. People right. love us or hate us. But we see now fans as kids, you know, and I, we learned that from being on tour with Aerosmith, um, that you just, to, to have a career, like the longevity, you got the old people that come as kids when you first started, then they bring their kids and then they bring their kids and their kids and that and two tickets turned into four, four into eight, eight into 10. Same thing kind of in, in what you do, you know, you, you want to yeah. have the whole family bring everybody, you got to see this dude. You know, and by the way, y'all, you were brilliant that night in Greenville. I, that was, wow. I was, damn, dude, killer. Yeah. Thanks, man. I, I had a great time and I got it on video, which is the best part. Sometimes you, you have a great set and you say, no, nah, I don't want to bring the tripod. I don't want to worry about filming and all that shit. You know, like yeah. I still play guitar. Like I, I love writing parodies, you know, like I wrote a parody on the one, uh, what's the Oasis song with a uh, wonder wall. But yeah. I, I wrote a parody song about uh, Lance Armstrong winning the, Tour de France, so many times with with only one ball, you know. Yeah. And, uh, okay. but, you know but but I love like I can strum some chords and shit, you know, and I can sing along. Got a good voice, and my friends like, dude, you 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 should be doing comedy with your because you get you're creative with that stuff. I'm like, dude, I don't want to carry that that guitar around everywhere, man. You know, it's just I'm not too lazy. But uh, listen to yeah, me. We're carrying around twenty thousand tons of shit every day. Um. But I, I get it. I know? need a comedy roadie, man. I need a comedy roadie. That's the thing, dude. And to carry my shit. Um, but yeah, you, I mean, you know, you think about that, like I, my friend plays in bands and stuff and like guitar. Yeah. You strap that thing. You, you, you got the guitar in the case. The drummers, like your brother, cool, cool kit, man, with the fucking evil Knievel emblem. Amazon. Yeah. Obviously your brother's a big evil Knievel fan. Like who wasn't? Who grew up in the fucking seventies, you know? No, he um, actually had the little thing. The little racer. Oh yeah, the wind-up cycle. Yeah. Oh yeah, and we we used to we burned all that shit. Me and my brother had every toy <laughs> that today would be worth tons. We burned them to the ground with firecrackers up their ass. <laughs> you know, evil Knievel <laughs> off the top of the house. We used to get on top of the house. My dad used to come out always going, "What the hell are you doing on top of the house?" You know, and we'd be t- racing that thing. It's crazy, but yeah, he's it's funny you mentioned that. Oh yeah. Your dad? He's retired that kid. Yeah, it's, it's, he's got another one now. Oh, that's cool. We, uh, you mentioned that, that toy. If you remember that toy, the, 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 you, you, you round, you, know, you crank it up and you, 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 you pull backwards and it should shoot off. And the thing that, the only reason that toy would work was because of these two rubber ends that were on the mufflers. Cause when that, when that motorcycle would hit the grab, it would do that fucking wheelie. And if you right. didn't have those two, wheelie i guess wheelie bars you know they had these little plastic things which i wow. took off you yeah, like you destructed same thing with me same thing with me i took those fuckers off i don't like the way these look so every time i evil knievel would go up you'd flip and they'd crash that's it you'd never leave the fucking launch pad um you know what i mean but yeah but you're right days, how many people just... i had gi i had gi joe's like thousands of gi joe's and my buddy saved them all and they're worth he's got like a hundred thousand dollar gi joe collection it's amazing oh i don't uh, doubt it yes you... you gotta have the ones from the 60s yeah you gotta have yeah, the with, the, with, with the, the real hair. hair. I have some of my I have some of my originals. What I collect 
because see, I, we, 30 years, we had our day of partying hard. We've done it. You know, we've lived four lifetimes. Everybody in our band, my brother, Jesse Roman, we, we've lived many lifetimes in, in our years, but now I've had, you know, weird things we do. Nobody, I collect lunch boxes, like the sixties, old lunch boxes. I don't know what, what, how I got into it. I got a Scooby-Doo. I got, uh, what's the, uh, planet of the apes, which is pre-born. You got to have, yeah. you know, to have them, you got to have the cooler in it. If to be worth right. something, I don't know if I have hundreds of thousands, but I got a bunch of GI Joes and I kept what I could keep. We mightly destroyed my brother's, not mine. <laughs> I didn't get destroyed. I oh, good. destroyed yeah. Chris's. You know. Yeah, I had. I used so, to collect comic books, Marvel comic books, and I was able to find a bunch of them in my mother's house. And I looked at them, and I'm like, oh, let's see what kind of quality. And I don't remember, because I, I put some of them in sleeves, and most of them I put in these bins. And I started opening the comic books, and for some reason, as a dumbass, when I was a kid, my mom and dad would go play bingo, and I thought it'd be a good idea to use bingo markers in my goddamn comic books. And I'd be like, I just ruined the fucking comic book as a kid. You know, I used to take matchboxes and paint yeah. them and shit. You know, we all did kinds too. Of stupid things. Same shit. You that's know, there's funny. a matchbox car that's the German helmet. It's from the 60s. Yeah. The German helmet dragster thing. Remember that? They made a yeah. red one, was, they made a million red ones, but they only made a few gold ones. Or maybe, I know that gold, they had a few off green sparkles. When you get into the gold and green, you're talking something that cost a quarter in 1975, maybe 30 cents, if it was that much. That one, yeah. one of those right now is going for 15 grand. No, my brother had one, and I threw it so far into the woods, we couldn't find it. It was <laughs> up and fighting, and I grabbed it and threw it. To this day, we argue about that shit. You threw away you my matchbox. You got to go out there with a metal detector. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, Jeff, you mentioned that you came up with the name Jackal. Well, how did you come up with that name? Uh, well, you know, I, we're talking when I was in the ninth grade, so it'd be 1979, eight, 77. I was into black Sabbath and, you know, not, I wouldn't not satanic stuff, but one of my favorite movies was the Omen, the original. Hmm. Getting to the second one, and I was, and I'm like, man, you gotta have a name because you know I grew up in a time when names, you had to have a logo, you know, you had Kiss, and then you in the '80s it was Rat or Motley Crue, whatever, and then you got names were always something to do with animals, and then I watched The Omen, and I found out that Damian Thorne's mother was a jackal, so he's, I said, jackal, man, that's bad ass, so I looked it up in a dictionary. A pack of wild dogs that roams and lives off what they can live off of and, and roams in packs. And I'm like, that's us for sure. That's that's the band. Perfect. So we actually have a show awesome. that on it did really well. And then I wow. drew the logo and I never looked back, you know. That's the one name nobody wanted to steal. Yeah. You could keep it's it. It's like man. trying you to steal the chose. chainsaw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, one of the things I was going to ask you about the chainsaw, because I remember when I was at the concert with my buddy, he's like, oh, I'm sure that chain, that ain't like a, like a really like sharpened chainsaw. It's probably been dumped. Like these guys who juggle the chainsaws and that, those kind of acts, you know, they're, they're, I've been told that they're using like a, you know, coated so they wouldn't like, chop their arm off and shit. But Bullshit. I was, I remember when I, when I watched you guys, I was like, man, who, how, what's the chances of God forbid this guy fucks up. And next thing you know, we got his arm fall off. It's fucking brilliant. 
because he would he would throw that thing around like like a like a beach ball man he was was cool as shit um what is the songwriting process for you guys you know i mean you know as a comic we, it's joke writing you know we got to come up with new jokes yeah. you know just like a musician you got to come up with new albums and stuff mm -hmm. like that what how does that work how does that process work with you guys well, i want to put a period on the chainsaw 30 years he's been injured twice once on live TV in Miami in the morning show because they didn't bring the right stool. You got to have a Walmart stool that's on our rider because it's new. It costs about 40 bucks, and when he digs into it, it don't give way. These promoters try to be cheap and bring some piece of shit out the back. That's what caused that. And then Radio City Music Hall, you can actually see. We were on tour with Damn Yankees. He cut through and it went straight. You can see his blue jean material. The kid was bootlegging it. This is in the 90s before cell phones were everywhere, right? So this kid's bootlegging it, and he comes up just in time, and I can see Jesse had to have some stitches for that. But other than that, the only injury he's ever been out of the chain, he his microphone is a, a shotgun, 12-gauge, he shoots blanks. He blew my ear right. out with it, and wonder he didn't kill me like Jason Lee or somebody. But Fuck. that's as close as we got. But that's that with the chainsaw. It was just luck, and we play it every night. We, we don't hate it. It's the last song of the night. But we have way more songs and we have way more stuff going on than that. But songwriting process. Well, that's kind of changed since the internet and since nobody gives two shits about music anymore, that it's all free. The money now is in the live gig and merchandise and whatever, you know. Now you can, nobody's, you know, you can't, you can download, people download, but they can also steal it off of YouTube immediately. I know yeah. I do. I don't download nothing. I'll put one in what I want to hear on YouTube and listen to it. Back in the day when there was money to be made in publishing, you know, you had those dynamics where people like the Beatles or Queen. Everybody gets two songs. Well, we came into this and the way we're structured is, well, everybody, anybody can bring anything to the table, but... You can only do so many songs and we're going to pick everybody's got to be a man and pick in your heart what you know's best and you got to let your ego go so and so that's how we do it that's why when you see on most records we've always let jesse lead he's got to sing it'd be like somebody right i don't know how you guys do it with somebody writing a joke for you but he's got to get there and sing it so just you take bring some shit in and we'll work and that's what we do and then they will throw in lines or things here and there. And we just put it in a pile because we're four partners in Jackal. We take on all debt and all profit. All right. And it's all yeah. set up that way. So we're really, and that comes from Malcolm Young. I think one of the greatest things I ever got from Malcolm was he was asked, are you not jealous that Angus is out front running around and he gets all the uh, attention, right? And Malcolm said this. We're making the same money. I'm going to stay back here yeah. drink and have some fun and let him do all the damn work, you know? And that's kind of like our structure. We're self-managed and, you know, it took us years to get all our properties back, but we don't really have a process is what I'm trying to tell you, Doug. It'll just well, yeah. come in. And I mean, well, that's what I think. And like, I would think as, as someone of, not, not, not a comparison, but as someone who was in music, I studied theory and all that. I played the trumpet too, by the way, if that makes any difference first chair in middle school no, wow. but yeah and uh i remember playing chuck chuck man jones feels so good uh actually got me laid that was the one time a trumpet got me laid playing that song damn um 
Yeah, dude, girl, dude, I was, I think I was 14. I think it was 13 or 14 and we were playing at the high school and this girl was so impressed because I'm the, we're in a band, high, middle school band playing in the high school and I'm the first chair trumpet. I stand up and start playing, you know, the first few bars of that song and then the whole, you know, everybody else comes in and this girl comes up, oh my God, I love that song. You know, next thing you know, I'm in the back seat, gobble, gobble, gobble. It was great. And, uh, right. You know, yeah, man, it was the best thing. And, and I mean, the guitar playing never got me laid. I, I shouldn't say that. When I was in high school, I played in a cover band uh, that played Prince. Now, don't slap me, okay? Don't don't laugh at me. No, well, but I know we were, I love we, Prince. Dude. Yeah, we 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 uh, we were a band called Sightless Cry, and we played you know all kinds of shit. I I gotta be honest with you, I wore a blue trench coat. I got a bit late, but enough of this horse shit um, about me. But you know, in the process, like when we our guys would get together, we would like we would just start playing some rhythm. You know, the drummer would come in. And then, like you said, the vocalist would come in and just start, nah, 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 you know, and then eventually something would come together. But uh, it, it, you, are you what guys pretty much equal? Go ahead. What we do, you mean as ideas go? It don't work. Yeah, that like, way like with we, us. we don't care. We don't care. We just want the end product to be the best because it's a partnership and it, it's irrelevant. We want the best thing no matter who does it. It usually works like this. We're extremely, um, not backwards, that ain't the word I want to use, we're extremely dysfunctional. What'll happen mm. is, is we'll show up at the studio in Los Angeles, in, in Atlanta, where our office is at Jesse's house in Kennesaw. That's where we keep all our stuff. We have three rigs there, A rig for big shows, B rig for medium, and C rig for as little. And the whole nine yards stays there, merchandise, the whole office, everything. Uh, he'll call me in the middle of the night screaming into the microphone guitar parts hey man listen dun, 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 dun. okay let's take what's the song we just played uh bum, 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 bum. listen jeff listen dun, 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 dun. i got this right here get all up in it now can you come down when well i count a minute i'm 126 miles away where's your brother <laughs> yeah. Okay, after 30 years, you know my brother's not laying next to my side of the bed, dumbass. He's down the road in his house. And then we'll go, and he'll come in with his guitar, and he has worked up a rudimentary thing, and it's maybe part, it's most of the basic idea. And then we go in, me, Chris, and Roman, and we tell Jesse, okay, shut up. Shut your mouth, go over yonder, and just let us do our thing. And we'll work it out and he'll come in and tell us how we're not doing it right. And then we'll tell him to go to hell. He'll get on the phone. We'll have some drinks. We'll knock that thing out and then he'll sing. And then we'll just edge it toward what it is. And that's how our work process. And in the end, we're all grinning going, that's it. And if not, we don't put it yeah, out. That, so it's, it's, we don't it's have It's good. I, obviously, if you say there's no ego involved, that's the best thing about any band, right? Because, you know, like, so, like I've heard this said, like when you tour with comics, like I've had friends say, look, I don't want to tour. I don't want somebody opening for me who's the funniest person on earth and this and that. If I'm going to go on tour with somebody, I want somebody I can hang out with, you know what I mean? And, and get along with right. too. So that matters too. And you think of some of the greatest bands that stuck around forever, you know, there had to be the brotherhood in there. There has to be understanding and no ego, right? I mean, you think about that. Well, we, well, they say egos, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> it's in the context of the, the product. You can't, you know, and, and that's just the way. Okay, you'll notice, you know, that in Aerosmith, Joe and Stephen do most of the writing. 
you know, but in the early days, like Brad Whitford and Tom Hamilton, everybody was in the early records, had writing credits. And then I remember one day when we were on tour with Aaron Smith, and I hope I don't mind me saying this, it's don't really mean nothing, it's funny. It, it kind of it answered questions years later. I was a dumbass for ask, asking when I was a kid these questions. And it's funny, they bounced back on me years later, right? So mm-hmm. I think Jesse or somebody asked Brad, why don't you write with Stephen and Joe? And he looked at us and went, I got a life. I'm not getting in a room <laughs> basically with them two and doing that thing because it is like having a baby. So we, we, it, it's very, if you, ha- if you take it too seriously and you, you know, we're a rock band in Jack. We're not vir- virtuosos or artistes. We have, there's an art to what we do, make no mistake. Right. There's an art to writing three minute songs and keeping people's attention spans when people, people's attention spans was three minutes for 30 for, through the rock and roll era. Now they're down to five seconds. Right. So wow. a lot of songwriting has become redundant. You just want to make sure you keep yourself so you can go out and play live. That's where we kind of hold, not that we're not, we're dedicated to making new music more than ever. Right. But we hold our, everything we do in the live performance. People can listen to us on record and go, I've had so many thousands of people over the years going, well, the record, I didn't get y'all with all the she loves my cocks and shit like that, right? But when I come to see you play, it's this different. And I was like, you know, that's the visual wall. We still have to be who we are, right? But the visuals changes everything. And then you start talking with my country accent. No way, how are y'all, you know, I don't understand how anybody disses anybody, you know, if you in entertainment, we're all in it together. It sucks for all of us. Right. And it's good and bad, but, um, we don't have, no, we don't do it. We've always, you know, with me and my brother, we get a lot of questions. How do do y'all get along for 30 years on the road? On the road, we're getting the exact, every morning we have the exact goal to get this vid, get get our day going. And at the end of the night, after a two hour show, kicked everybody's ass up around their damn shoulder blades, right? And they left there with their mm-hmm. jaws dropped open and their ears ringing. And then that's our goal, you know? And, and everything goes into it. We work out we, everything we put, everything we got into that. And that's just all it is. We don't have, our problems when we get home. <laughs> Me and my brother, yeah, when, right next when to the me, show's you, over. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, show's over, yeah. Gotta, go home. But no, we didn't. Yeah, now you got to talk about grocery shopping and shit and, you know, and, you know, paying fucking bills. Uh, you know, and, and, and you know, I, I think that's huge. And you're right, because like in comedy, it's subjective, right? Like I just came from a comedy contest in Vegas. You know, when you think of music, like, I think of live, you think of Kiss, right? You think of the group Kiss. You know, when that live album came out, that that's where they exploded. I mean, you know, you know, a Cheap Trick, exactly. you know, live at Budokan, right. um, these albums that, you know, and and you guys are a live band. I mean, you got you know you, you're right mm-hmm. because to take to, to understand Jack, you got to see him live. You can see him. You can see a video or this and that, but it's not the same. It's not the energy. It's not the. It's just not the the, the character of the band is being there, being at a fucking concert, getting some drinks, having fun, and just parting your ass off. Like you said, that's the difference. And like in comedy, sometimes there's some, they, some people will say you're lowbrow, you know, because I'll tell a dick joke, you know. And meanwhile, there's a comic who's like. Yeah, there's a there's a comic who's like got this well thought out joke, and somebody else will be like, "Oh, that's a much better joke." But my joke made people fucking laugh ten times harder, because that's that's my comedy. I'm not I'm not a I'm not a Mensa member, 
You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not sitting there, you know, I didn't go to law school, you know, and all shit. I, I'm a fucking funny dude. That's all I care about. I just want to make people laugh. And then people are like, well, that's lowbrow. Fuck you. People are laughing. Get over it. You know, I don't give right. a shit. That, uh, that's our mission very, too. My, mine, you know, mine's been to make people forget for two hours. That's what music does to me. The hardest part of the road is the road itself, not the two hours of playing. That's my joy. Yeah. It's the other Absolutely. 22 to get me to that too, right? And like yeah. you said, trust me too, I'll tell you this, a Menza member loves a good dick joke. But uh, that's the thing. I just like to see people have a good time and just, I've had people, I don't know how many people in other walks of their life. Right now, I'm going on six people that has come directly and told me that we saved their life, that, that they were contemplating suicide or... And this, for some reason, and look, it's just, it's just a puzzle to me how you can listen to our music and it makes you lift up. It does lift you up, but it's comedy. It's basically, we're like a white Dave Chappelle show on record. That's about basically what we are. We're, yeah. we're, we're talking about what we see, you know. Yeah. I wrote the song Redneck Punk. Are you familiar with that one? The song Redneck yeah. Punk, it's on the first record. Okay, that song has been misinterpreted. I've people talk about that they think it's talking about us. No, no, that's talking about these guys that used to work at a logging camp on the mountain. They'd get paid on Thursday night, come down to the local club, and there was like a dance floor. We'd go and stand at the bar, and there's a dance floor, and a band would play, and it was like twelve lumberjacks, and they'd dance with each other. And that, that if, you, if I told you that, go listen to it and then throw each other around and they'd cut flips and drink until they couldn't d even move and then go outside and you'd never see them again until the next Thursday. It was hilarious. And that's, that's where that came from. So, you know, there's that's so great. many misinterpreted, you know, people don't know how to, you know, it, what makes me stop really writing songs for Jackal, not, not playing on a musically and putting my two cents worth is that when I found out, and I like to think I'm smart, when I found out most of the world population has no sense of humor. You talk about the dick joke. I said, dick is, the world goes around because of a dick. In Pompeii, yeah. they're digging up parts of Pompeii where they street signs that are dicks. You know, the dick makes <laughs> the world go round and the vagina is going to kill it. So there it is. That's it. Money <laughs> wouldn't exist for the vagina. I mean, it's just crazy. You do your dick jokes and tell them to go to hell. Yeah, I, I am, dude. I trust me. That's why uh, I think you bought my All Richards or Dick shirts. So yeah, I did. I, I got it. It's, on, I it's, in my, it's, it's on my tour bus. I'm going to wear it on stage one night, so get ready. Oh, my God. That'd be the biggest thing in the world. I even told my wife. She goes, oh, my God, if he wears it on stage, come. Yeah. I said, that'd be great. Well, let me tell you I this. Said, I've I, been I, thinking about it because let me tell you this. I'm, I'm about, I have to be in my best of. Uh, Worry the pirate mode because there's going to be some guy come to me after the show and go, Hey man, my name's Richard and I'm no dick. <laughs> I'm going to say, okay, yeah, you are, anybody's dude. Ice. you go find Dougie and kick his ice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come get me, man. Come get me. Uh, yeah. I had somebody come up to you really, this lady was an attorney in Miami and she comes up to me. She goes, you know, it's the other way around. All Richard's. All dicks are Richards, but not all Richards are dicks. And I'm like, I think you're missing the point of the fucking joke, lady. <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? I mean, <laughs> lighten up. Um, let me ask you this. Who are some you of know, your you favorite bands, about, man? My favorite bands. Let me tell you what you talk about the lowbrow. One of my first, I don't say bands, things. I have movies in there. Over the years, I'd have musicians that inspired me. 
but I want to talk about what you do for a minute, just for a little bit. I remember about the same time and when I was eighth or ninth grade, this kid moved in down the road from where me and my brother lived. And he was from, I think maybe Detroit. He was up from Michigan and his dad had all the early Richard Pryor records. And I started listening to that and it was X-rated stuff. You know, those early Richard Pryor yeah. records with, you know, about the vampire and the, I was walking down a dark alleyway and that transformed everything. I think a lot of that, the comedy aspect of that. And then my net other friend, are you familiar with an old comedian that used to do truck top truck stops back in the day in the seventies called Gene Tracy? He, no, you, you can no. find him on, find him on YouTube. He was in the seventies and sixties. And you know, when you go into a truck stop, they still have the little truckers lounge with the TV. Well, he would get up in that in the middle of the night and do comedy and they would record it and they'd put it out on eight track tapes back in the day. He must have sold them billions of them, my friend's dad. And you've got to hear it. And it was the nastiest stuff because I come, me and my brother were out in the country growing up in Southern Baptist and we just kind of, we liked to have music and we had our uncle teaching us about music and stuff, but in rock bands, but my grandma, everybody's Christian. And, but when we started hearing Richard Pryor one night, and then just Dick Tracy with these stupid. Now, Gene Tracy, not Dick Tracy, I'm sorry, Gene Tracy. His, the delivery was funnier than the punchline. He would tell yeah. the joke, a story about a trucker or something. And the way he told it, you'd be laughing. You'd have tears in your eyes. He'd deliver the punchline. It'd be okay, but it didn't matter, you know, when you <laughs> yeah. had prior. So that, that had a lot to do with the way that we are, me and my brother and, 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 and our guys in our band, because we all come from the seventies and the eighties where our dads were listening to that kind of stuff. And, you know, when you're playing music and you, that can't help but seep in, do you know what I mean? I can't oh, write yeah. a song without being funny. And I can't write a love song. I cannot, I cannot. The love song's out for Jeff, you know? That's I right. You don't got it. You guys don't have any ballads. You guys don't have any ballads. We have a couple of country songs. No, but rock and roll to me was this in metal. You got country music to cry about the bitch it left you. Heavy metal is, and I'm, this is the way I take it, heavy metal and hard rocks for this. Fuck you, bitch. There's a hundred more of you out there. I'll go get one of these. Yeah. Right now, <laughs> That's the difference right there. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, and that goes for men and women too. So don't, I'm not being, you know, but, uh, yeah, so it just yeah. seeped in, man. And I, comedy's where it's at, you know. Yeah. I I, I it's a great it. point because when you, when you think about it, you I mean when you watch you guys, it, it's the it's that it's there's a comedic aspect to it. You know, I mean, you watch mm -hmm. the last video and Jesse's just sitting there with his teeth and shit. You know, there, there's something interesting about that. And uh, and you're right about that, because let me tell you, when I was in high school or middle school and a girl broke up with me or some shit happened, that's the first thing I do, man. I go home and put on my rock and roll and just get into that mode like, fuck it, I don't care. Mm -hmm. This shit don't matter. You're right. How, how true is that, dude? How true is it that? It just works. Um, yeah um favorite bands okay, some of your favorite, favorite top bands. bands you know i just i was doing an interview the other day with somebody and it dawned on me that okay now if we're talking top bands as far as desert island kind of shit you know you get your last band uh -huh. if i was gonna be on desert island i got one band it'd have to be a one record and i've got so many but if i'm thinking my ass is out there and i'm gonna have to listen to every day i gotta put on this one thing it would be back in black, ACDC. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. It's just when that came out for us, it was such a groundbreaking thing. Three chords, when everybody was getting fancy, they took two steps back, right? And they were, you know, and 
but I, I love most of my bands. I still love Iron Maiden. I love metal. I love I love country. Well, I'm not a fan of modern country music. It sounds like rock and roll turned way down low. Okay, yeah. Noy. I love Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, the old outlaw dudes that used to do tons of blow in the hospital and shit, and Johnny Cash <laughs> and you know. And I read a book. Yeah. Uh, uh, Roger Miller. Remember Roger Miller? He wrote trailers for sale or rent. I read his book. These guys were out of their minds, right? They were true rock stars, but didn't play rock. It was a rock star has always been a lifestyle. And uh, I love classical. I mean, funny part is I'm up in my house. Now down here's my recording studio in my art studio. At my house, I normally keep our plaything on something from the Rat Pack. I love Frank Sinatra. Dean Martin is my hero. Sammy Davis yeah. Jr. I love that style of crooning. I love classical. Depends on that time of day. In the morning, classical clink. Rock only can go on down at the studio. So any of my kids, my nephews, my daughter, me, my brother, whoever goes to the studio, you can go in there and turn it to a million dB. But up at my house, because of, I have to calm down. Dougie, I have to calm down. When I come yeah. off the road, people... You know, I had a buddy of mine, God bless him. His daughter is a friend of my daughter's. I love him to death. We have dinner together. He's a, a landscaper, but he fancies himself to play guitar. And I'll come off the road, been on the road for three weeks, come home. Y'all want to come over? We'll cook out whatever. He'll come over and bring his guitar. Want me to give him a guitar lesson. And one night I had to tell him, I said, baby, listen to me. You're a landscaper. Imagine you worked. 14 hours and I show up on your doorstep I'm with a shovel <laughs> yeah, with a show and said, Hey man, let's show me how to dig a hole. He looked at me yeah. and went, Oh my God, I get it now. I said, if yeah. you want me to give you a guitar lesson, that's Jim, keep bringing it. Don't bring it in the house. Yeah. I will have to voluntarily go, go get that damn guitar and let's play. And we've done it a bunch of times, but and I hate doing stuff like that, but I have to calm down. I can't do what I do out there unless when yeah, I come here. Yeah. That's why I bought my family home. I could have bought 14 houses to what I got in this damn place, but I had to be where I grew up in these woods. You know, when I was 18, I wouldn't go stay here in Seneca trying to have a rock band. We were devil worshipers. We had no, we, you know, we didn't have no idea about what that meant. We were playing Black Sabbath covers, but, and I was like, these people are crazy. I get out, I cover the world a few times and I go, you know what? I can deal with that. So I kept me and my brother came home. We bought basically everything we could buy right here where we live and our cousins. And it, it is, it's kind of like a, you know, hillbillies up in the hill, but I wouldn't have any other way. Cause I now, you know, with technology, I can leave home, go do my thing. You know, you're talking about songwriting. I can bounce back to this. We can also do it. We send files. So yeah. Jesse or they, Jesse and Roman can be in Atlanta. Me and my brother can be here at our studio. They can have an idea, send a file. We can send a file. We've done that. I've played guitar leads after the song's done. Send a file to me. You know, I'm not feeling it in Atlanta, right? I come home right. for a few days before we go on the road. And then I got the file. I get up at two in the morning. Okay, God dang, I got it. You know, I got it. I got it. Yeah. And then you go down there and, and just, you know, that's the luxury of doing that. In that luxury, though, music has suffered because unlike our first record that you record on tape in the 70s and 80s, you had to play good. There was no computer to yeah. help you. You sucked on the tape, yeah. you sucked. 
but who's to say what sucks? Okay. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, but you're right. And, and it's funny you say that about playing music because you have to, because nothing worse and comics will tell you this, nothing worse than when you walk off stage and somebody will say, Oh, you're a comic or something like, tell me a joke. You know, and you're like, you know, you're a doctor. I don't ask you to look down my throat. You know, I'm not asking you to like, Hey, check out, is this a hemorrhoid or would it, you know, it's just yeah, ridiculous. Exactly. You're right. You have to, you have, you have to dif differentiate, right? You have to look, there's, there's, there's that wall. Like when I got back from Vegas, I'm home. You know, I'm my, I'm my, I'm my, I'm a husband. You know, I'm a, I'm a provider, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy now, you know, I can't be sitting there. Hey, honey, <laughs> you know, calm the fuck down, yes. asshole. You know, that's, that's a great point. That's the only way I can um, be creative. You know, I can't be creative unless I have a divider between things, you know, especially yeah, you after can't all, be all the time. You, you can't be on all the time. I have a buddy of mine from Boston. He's a comic. And every time I talk to him, he's like, Hey, he starts telling me jokes. I'm like, I said, dude, I'm going to buy you sneakers. I'm going to buy you shoes with stage underneath. Because you're always on stage, like no matter where the hell you stand and you're always telling jokes and shit enough. You know, I'm here to have a hot dog and a beer and watch sports. I'm not here to hear your fucking latest joke. Okay. I just, I just, you know, I, <laughs> I don't, do your I don't routine care about that shit. Yeah. Working your shit out on me. You know, uh, it's funny ever since Pirates of the Caribbean and Johnny Depp's portrayal of, um, of jo uh, Captain uh, Jack Sparrow, everybody thinks they're a fucking pirate. Well, in reality, you know, you, that's part of your logo on Instagram and stuff. You know, your artwork, which is awesome. We're going to talk about, by yeah. the way, your artist. That's another way you spend your time. But uh, you had you have piracy in your in your in your history in your in your legacy in your in your genes. We, we, we do. We, we do. Oh, my. It's my uh, mother's my father's side, the Whirlies. Uh, you can Google it. Richard Whirly uh, died 1719 Charleston Harbor. He was only a pirate for a few weeks. He didn't make it 30 years, but yeah, he was, he was credited for flying the first Jolly Roger and, uh, you know, and it took, um, I, I know it, it took ancestry.com. We had had things handed down over the years and had heard stories until ancestry.com. I'm not doing a commercial here for him, but I was researching my other grandfather and run up on this. And then we put all the parts together and got my mom involved. And then we, uh, but we've known it for a long time. We just was able through ancestry to pin it together. Put it together. But that wasn't the big yeah. thing. The big thing wasn't us caring about that. The big thing was that my mom, whose her last name was Hamby, was my dad. And when we found out for sure that was, was in our blood, being my brother and all that, we like my mom went, Well boy, that explains a hell of a lot. <laughs> With your father and his brothers and your grandfather on that side, he goes, Every one of them was you know, and we're not finding, you know, basically pirates were just thieves, but you're surprised what you'll do when you want to eat, you know? Yeah. Different yeah, times. That's a, people don't understand. It was a different time. You can't think now like they thought then, you know, but yeah. yeah. And I ran with it with my artwork and my, and my art site and, uh, that I'm, I'm doing a solo record and my solo project's called Worthy the Pirate. So, uh, kind of honoring grandfather for, I'm going to keep it going farther forward that's awesome you know? man that, that's awesome yeah i think i think one of my relatives was a court jester in the queen's court um that's great I, I, I listen i went on one of those uh dna things to try to find my relatives all i found was debt okay i went down in there and some people started <laughs> collectors started calling me like hey your great great grandpa was so 10 grand i'm like i don't know him uh not my debt uh um <laughs> here's my question can a fat guy be a rock star jeff and like yeah, like I, you know, I think about, you know, when I played, 
Yeah, well, that's everybody. That's first thing everybody says. Fucking meatloaf. Okay. But, you know, I mean, is anybody going to, like, chicks going to sit there and throw their panties at some fat guy with a 42-inch waist and, and double chin? I mean, is that possible? Or do I, Like, you wrote a book here about staying. What about you're also an author, and uh, this is yeah. great, you know, about, you know, staying in shape. And I, I don't, you know, every that rock and roll guy is nice and thin, you know, looking good, tall, sleek, you know. And then Dougie comes out there, <laughs> you know, look like the fucking penguin playing ACDC. Um and this is great because you, 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 in this book, you talk about how to stay thin. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, can a fat I don't guy know about can a real thin, fat But stay in. No, no. Yes. Well, you know, it don't matter. It's about the music. You know, you got Ed Sheeran over in England playing to 200 million people a night, and he's no cut. Yeah, you know, it's I like mean, Raggedy knows, Ann. I don't do it for that. Yes, there is. You know, when we got signed, our first record, John Collardner, the great country, John Collardner, in the dressing room the night he saw us, he signed us. We didn't do a bunch of re, re he didn't have to come back and see us again. He signed us the night he saw us. Then he come back and he walks up to all of us and pinches us and goes, Lou's 10, you need to do this. <laughs> you need to get that haircut. In those days, wasn't like today, you hear, you know, actors and people talking about and actresses, the Me Too. He wants us to, we can't just walk onto the set and be Captain America, but, you know, be not in shape. That's the way they looked at it in those days. You know, like in the 90s, through the 80s, they did, you know, you got to have the look, you know. You can get by with it more now than ever in our day. But I don't do it yeah. for that. I do it because it's, you know, you got, like I said before, you got to fill up that day. I ain't sitting in no hotel. I can't sit. I'm a country boy. I work on, I, I, I'm a, we have work ethic that my dad and my grandfather's instilled in me and my brother. And uh, no, I get up and I can't perform though. We want to keep going. 30 years don't mean nothing to us. We're still, we started as babies actually. So we're still relatively young. We're in our, back to early fifties and going on, Jesse be turning 60, I'll be turning 60. But then you got guys out there now like Mick Jagger that's 80. We, We know as long as it's fun, we're keeping going, we're in shape. I'll see guys that were five years younger than me in my hometown and poor bastard. God damn. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, 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 but you know, I have to, to, I've always been athletic. I played guitar, but I played football in high school. I'm still nursing. I'm getting ready to have a knee replacement. Hopefully at the beginning of the year, um, on a knee that I'd hurt playing baseball when I was in the 10th grade. So I've been nursing (laughs) all these years. I had one surgery. So I was always athletic, but it just, I don't do drugs per se as anything hard or anything. Even though we have the liquor out and everything, we don't really, we used to drink a lot. You know, everybody's had their day, right? right. That's changed. You can't do it. I can't perform at the level I want to perform. None of us can if we don't stay in shape. And then, you know, we don't like to eat fast food or anything. So what we, that book you got is a lot of a cooking. We, we mastered me and Roman, our base player. Roman's a chef. He was a chef in many restaurants in Birmingham, um, yeah, what we did on the tour bus though, is practical as a crock pot. You familiar with a slow cooker? Yeah. So that's okay. We had five of those going and we would, cause our crew and everybody has catering and we can eat catering. I'm sure you've seen the green rooms and shit, mm-hmm. but it's not, eh. so for us to do what we got to do, I'll cook, we'll get up. We'll have our tour bus come into Walmart six in the morning. Our bus driver will come back. I'm here or I'll give him a list. And we'll get up, put it in the crock pot. I'll go on about my day. I'll eat something light about three if we play at nine. I can't go on stage and eat. My brother can go eat a pizza and walk up and play drums for two hours uh, at 130 yeah. dB. 
I have to be empty. Okay. So, uh, but after the show, that chicken breast, that pot roast, whatever the hell we cooked is ready. And then I'll have dinner after the show and it burns itself. I'm still running in place while I'm sleeping, you know, because it's more to be able to do. I love what I do and and I want to be able to do it at the highest performance because young rock and rolls for young, unless, you know, you'll notice Aerosmith that Joe Perry is one of my heroes, one of my guys. You'll notice he's kept himself in shape. You have to, Heck yeah. you know, I'll say it. Nobody wants to see a fat guitar player. Yeah. <laughs> the guitar on me. Here. <laughs> yeah, on me. Okay. So, but you look at pictures of me over the years. There's been times, you know, we was off for a year or so before we regrouped, you know, and you know, you just eat. But now I've got it worked out that we play, we're getting ready to go on tour hardcore through the whole United States. And we end up November 27th is our last show. We usually do a big Christmas run, but this year we're not because we got bigger stuff happening our first year. So we're stopping on November 27th. That's when Jeff will eat. Okay. And then yeah. I won't not work out. You know, I have a cheat day. One cheat day about two or three months ago, I ate 20,000 calories in one day. Holy shit. Yeah, dude. It gets ridiculous these cheat days because I do it so straight. So, yeah, I ate like seven honey buns, a half a gallon of chocolate milk at six in the morning. And then I stopped and got four Egg McMuffins, uh, that big thing of sweet tea, ate that, got home, ate a two pounds of meatloaf. Uh, then I finished with about half a pizza. And then, you know, and, and then I cussed myself out all night. And the next morning, <laughs> you talk about looking up for a hemorrhoid. You're going, oh, my God. And, but then I'm so like a drug addict. I'm so disgusted with myself that I can go six yeah. more days like a good boy. You know, it's stupid, but I like it. It makes yeah. me feel good. So, yeah, I, I, I have cheat days myself. I think I do cheat days about five days a week at this point. But, uh, you know, just the mayor mentioned a pizza just made me want to cut the show off. I'm time to go. I got to get some fucking pizza. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? I used to be an no, athlete. I, I used to be a Muay Thai. Oh, dude, I, listen, I come from a, a Latin family, you know, from where our family's from Spain. My mother was a great cook. My mother-in-law, who's Asian, she's here with us now, and she's cooking all the time, man. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just a good thing. And I used to be an athlete. I played soccer in, in college and stuff, and I used to be a, a pro Muay Thai kickboxer, and I was in shape. But there, wow. there came a day where I was like, enough of this shit, because I used to train like, like, like an Olympic athlete. And then it was after one of my last fights, I was like, that's it, man. I'm coming home after work. I'm going to, I'm going to have a beer. I'm going to put the reclining chair up, you know, enough of this shit. Oh, and now, it. and now, you I know, it, baby. you know, it's tough, but I'm, but, but there's so many, like you said, aging, I'm, I'm 55. So there, it's like, I'm at that point where I got to get, I got to get back in shape and lose like 70 pounds without a doubt. And you're right. If you're going to be you running know, around the, the stage and stuff, you've got to be physically fit to do all that, man. Yeah, you do. And it's just the travel and, and you know, and I just got to, it's been, I've been doing it so long. It's just a habit. I, I'll have all intentions of taking a day off, but you know, and, and all jokes aside, and I'm not shaming nobody, but I, I'm, I fancy myself as a comedian because I say shit that I think's funny. Now nobody else does, but, but I told my <laughs> wife, I said, when I'm out of this music business crap, my next gig is a little show. You may have heard of it. It's called my 600 pound life. Cause I'm going to eat everything <laughs> I can eat. Okay. Um, but no, I grew up Southern family. My grandmother, like when we got signed and I told you about the record company executive pinching us stuff. And I went, my grandmother who helped raise me and my brother. And I had come back and tried to tell a Southern 78 year old woman that she's going to do something with the butter and lard. 
Well, hell, I'm crazy as hell. You out of your mind, boy. Y'all, they go brainwash you. <laughs> you know what they are in L.A.? Devil worshipers. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> they go brainwash you. They ain't no fat going to hurt you. I used to watch my grandmother dip her hand into the lard bucket to make biscuits. Okay, you could eat a hundred of them, right? They're just delicious. Right. Nobody can cook like that anymore. But uh, yeah, it, it wasn't. It, it, those, those, those types of those types of meals weren't unhealthy until somebody said they were unhealthy, and then all of a sudden they became unhealthy. Those meals were designed for a man to get up. Woman should be working at the house. We're plush today. Not only in the last hundred years, or less less than that, seventy years can we go to the grocery store. You used to have to get your right. ice up and plow in the field. You, know, you could eat the thousand, two thousand calories for breakfast because by lunch, gone, gone. Yeah, That's what yeah, my dad great grew up. Point. He used, to, you know, my dad would wake me and my brother up on Saturdays even. My dad, in my new book, I guess a lot about my dad. He, my dad cured me and my brother. Me and my brother had pretty much perfect attendance at school after we was about in the fifth grade. Here's how: when we were sick, even when we were sick. Even if we had the flu, he would take a day off of work and stay with us. Way worse than going to school, okay? Yeah. Because he don't give a damn. Get your ice in the yard, okay? And going, I'm going to school. I can remember me having a full 105 degree temperature, me telling my mama, hell no, I'm going to school. I ain't staying home with his ice. You know what I'm saying? He'll work me in the yard. No way. It's just different times, By the way, you know, and I was lucky. That's that's a great story. By the way, uh, this just in: the members of Jackal actually started the COVID virus. There you go. They, they started that shit there in Seneca, go, North yeah. Car- South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, that, you're, you, you, you listen. My, you, how funny, fucking funny is that? I had a, a buddy of mine that was like that. He, he, I'm like, why don't you, you know take a day off? He's like, no, man. Same thing. He's like, if I do that, my mom will have me home. She'll have me doing all kinds of shit. I'd rather go to school, man. I'd rather go to school. Um, what was one of the craziest things that ever happened on tour, man? I couldn't, I mean, there's gotta be numerous amounts, right? But I mean, shit, I mean, uh, what would you say? I mean, you mentioned about, you know, flying in with a helicopter, blowing shit all over the place. I mean, yeah, well, you know what? Let's pick up that one. I'll tell you that one. I think this story is in that book of of no filter, which is on Amazon. Yeah. We were, we were coming in to, uh, it comes in with the Skinner telling us to get lost the third time. This was the third and final. They're headlining a big, huge festival. We're on right before they are, which they're going at nine. This is a summer, I think it was in August. And it's out in the middle of nowhere in, in near Tampa, out in the country. Huge though, it used to be you know, 30, 40,000 people. And we're on the way in and there's a line, but it's early morning and our crew's on the bus with us. And then we get up, you know what we ought to do? Make a big entrance, because our record's kicking, our second record's fixing to come out. Let's make a big entrance. We need to fly in on helicopter, right? So we get this big idea. Early cell phone, big boy. We get on it. We have one of the first ones, Jesse, our singer. Jesse always, he's the one we put up to call in always. So I always refer, we put him up to shit, okay? He calls, mm-hmm. he, we find a helicopter, because Tampa's just maybe 50 miles away. Got all those tours and stuff and helicopters flying over Disney and all that shit. So he finds a guy. It's a... Uh, 334, 5 o'clock on a Saturday. When the guy answers, he's got him on speakerphone. He says, Well, I'm I'm through for the day. Country voice, right? I'm through. I'm through. He goes, Well, Jesse tells him, Man, we want to fly into this concert and stuff, and we'll pay you and this, that, and the other. He goes, Well, I am taking my wife to dinner, and she takes her a long time to get dressed. So uh, I'll be there in a minute. So <laughs> God have it. 
we're on the bus. The next exit says this airport. I forgot to put that. So we pull over a little tiny airport, right? Pull over. They let us band members out and the crew and everybody has to go to get set up for us to be delivered in, right? So we're standing out there and it's getting near time. We're going, this dude, what the hell? We're going to be screwed, you know? So Jesse calls him back on the cell phone. He answers in the helicopter. And Jesse goes, are you coming or not? And he goes, look behind you. And here he comes across the field with it turned up <laughs> like this. <laughs> and I don't know if you, it was a brand new aerospatile limousine of helicopters, okay? Three seats in the front, three in the back. Backs raised, state-of-the-art beauty. When he gets out, he lands that thing, Hank! He's in his mid-60s, early 70s, dressed like a golfer, old fella, gray hair, mustache, gets out. He looks at me and Jesse and goes, all right, who's in charge here, chief? He looks at me and I go, well, he goes, who's paying? I said, he's got it. Laid out the $100 bills of what he charged us. At that time, Jesse Dupree turns to me and goes, I think he's drunk. But we get in the helicopter anyway. When we get in, he's got his glass sitting next to him. Glass <laughs> with ice, not no paper cup, baby. Glass with ice. And I sit, my brother sit next to him. Jesse sits over here. In the back's me, Tom, and Jimmy, the other two members of the band. Three members that was in the, in the day this story was. He turns around and goes, listen, boys, y'all want a high ball? And under my seat in the back, he goes, and I need you to make me another one, an old-fashioned. And we're going, God dang, what the <laughs> fuck? So under my seat was ice and glasses. Under the middle seat was ever with mini bottles and all this different stuff. And over the other seat was the mixers and the cherries and limes. And all my, we had the headsets on. And I said, hello. I had to ask him because he was just, we made him a drink. He was kind of drunk, but we just said, what the hell? We made us drinks. And we thought if we die, this is going to go out like a damn blaze of glory. <laughs> he lifts and goes, there's no, there's no, first he kills about half his drink, sets it down. And he don't take off that gentle helicopter lifting like you see on TV. He went right. to the top and I said, how long you been flying? He goes, I did seven tours in Vietnam. And he talked about what he did. And then we was at ease. I was put at ease. All of us just sort of went, he can yeah. fly this son bitch drunk with his eyes shut. No and joke. then we get up there and he gets in the spirit of what we do. This is what comes to the problem. He's not looking at us funny anymore. He likes us. Now he goes up and I ask him about <laughs> machine gunner in the window. So he takes us up to about 5,000 feet and he tells me to put my head in the window and imagine I'm holding the gun like you've seen in Vietnam, right? And he yeah. just does this clink. And we corkscrew to probably 180 feet off the ground. He pulls it out, we're tripping out, takes off. He said, y'all paid for, paid for it. We'll take our time. He, we fly over the crowd, which you're not supposed to do. And then there's a helipad over here, but he don't like it. The crowd can't see us get out unless we land next to Skinner's dressing room, right? Which is these <laughs> tents and catering. And we're like, do what you want to do. Because he wants us to be seen. Because so he's gotten to the spirit of the thing. And he goes over sure. and he sets that summit down, dude. And it blows hay and shit for miles. <laughs> it's like if we were everybody, the crowd's going crazy. Uh, Gary Gary Rossington's pants is in another state. It blows their stuff out of their dressing room. And, and then we have a great set. And then he takes off and the crowd goes crazy. But, yes, we flew with a drunk helicopter pilot. 
but you know, somehow God told us to do it. It wasn't like we were just trying to be, it was like, it's okay. And once he told me, yeah. and I mean, he was a master. He had a damn old fashioned in this hand. And that, I mean, it was, we were just like looking at each other going, you know, you don't make this stuff up and nobody's ever going to believe us. Right. So yeah, that's pretty that's wild. I got cool. more, but that's for today's version of this. We'll do it again sometime. That's my wild story for the day. Absolutely, dude. We'd love to have you back on, man, because I'm sure there's millions of other stories and shit. And uh, uh, like I said, it was just, crap, you know. <laughs> Cool as shit to meet you, dude, and uh, I appreciate everything, you know, and joining. I was like going to ask him, like, I wonder if you do the show, and then you're like, fuck yeah, I'll do the show. I'm like, oh, man, that was awesome. But, uh, well, a couple things. One, don't forget, uh, get the books, go on Amazon. There's no filter. There's some stories in here you can definitely read. Uh, this is uh, How to Stay in Shape, uh, great book on Amazon, and um, and uh, you got to check this stuff out. And go to and go to um, Jeff's website because he's got art and stuff he's, he's actually selling on there yep. pretty cool things and check that out and uh com. there you go and uh what's and you said you guys are torn through the end of november more or less but uh what anything well, else you want to share with, our, with our audience uh where we're we gonna be we're gonna yeah. be this week we head out we're playing with a band called shine down in wisconsin and then we the next night we headline a show in st louis and then we'll be throughout out texas and Arizona, I think, in November, and then we come back and do uh, Illinois, and you'll just go to the Jackal website, jackal.com, and all the dates are on there. We're constantly, our motto's always on tour, so and you got to come out to a show. I'll get right, Jesse yeah, to let to you show. do the chainsaw. Jesse will let you help him oh, do the chainsaw. Oh, my God. Well, that's one way I could lose some weight, cutting some of this fat off by mistake. That'd be funny. Like watch no, that belly it's, cut it's, off. It's safer than you think. It's safer than you think. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, man, I appreciate you having me, Dougie. I appreciate it, man. It was a lot of fun. Uh, dude, it was great meeting you. I appreciate you doing it. And uh, if you have not seen Jackal live, you got to see these guys live. And, you know, just be ready to have some fucking fun. Uh, Jeff Worley, everybody from Jackal. We love being him on the show. And we want to thank everybody for listening to the show and watching us here. You can watch us on YouTube channel. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We need more subscribers. And, of course, our fan page on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us, all that. we got a lot more great shows coming up. And, uh, man, that's it. We love it. Great great show today. Great rock and roll show, man. Let me tell you something happier than I'm part of the Chainsaw Mafia now. Okay? And uh, I'm going to go uh, play my own Lumberjack song uh, my wife cooking dinner right now. So, God bless everybody out there. Again, thanks to Jeff Worley and everybody in Jackal, Jackal World. Uh, great, great band. Go check them out. And, of course, God bless you guys. Stay safe. Be well. And we'll be back next week at the same time, same spot. Take care. Ha, ha, ha.